And then I did something. I found a picture of Elaine and myself uh, when we were dating. We were not married yet, but we were on our, one of our prom nights. And I ran down to the dollar store, got a frame, put it in there. And I put it on the stand so every now and both of us can glance at it. Uh, for her, just a picture. For me, it reminds me of a Bible verse. Remember the wife of your youth. And then I thank the Lord from that time come February It'd be 56 years. That's a long time to be with one person. (laughs) But it's been a joyful time, a wonderful time. But it reminds me of what the scripture says. Remember the wife of your youth. We are a people who very quickly forget. And that's one of the reasons for Christmas that it brings us back to refocus and to remember the purpose of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness unto us. And thank you, Lord, for each and every day that you give unto us. And Lord, we're so thankful that you're the one who watch over us. You're the one who keeps us. You're the one who gives us the strength to do each and every day. May we not be sidetracked by the things that take place in our life, but may we know we have a God who is cheering for us, a God who is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? And if he desires us to accomplish something, he will give us the strength to accomplish it. And Lord, We want to be mindful of the real purpose for which Christ came into this world. Why did he put on flesh? Why did he just save us from a distance? But he came and tabernacled with us, lived with us. He was among us, and he spoke unto us. Would you help us to see this in scripture that we might see this wonderful counselor, that we might see this mighty God, that we might see this everlasting father, that we might see this prince of peace. For us, in a sense, beginning was in a manger. But we knew and we know, Lord, that he was living long before he visited the manger. So Lord, minister to us this morning. Open our eyes that we might see him differently and that we might respond to him differently. And we'll give you the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, uh, we're just about there. We're about 4,000 shy of being where we need to be to pay our floor off here. So um, whatever the Lord will lay on your heart, if you can do it, we can appreciate it. And, uh, and we will thank you. But God is doing it. And we just praise him for it. Oh, Jeremy! I don't know if he's back there or not. Can you put the floor up for us? There it is. Can we put it up here? The floor? There it is. Uh, Can you see it? Uh, It's it's the gray. It's going to be the center part. This right here. Don't worry about that guy back there. That's going to be the main part of the floor. It's a gray with some black running through it. Thank you. So that's the main part. 
This is going to be the border that goes around it. It's, it's more of a black with a little gray, as you can see in there. And uh, the women did an excellent job matching it and putting it together. And there were so many. Uh, me and Roger just stood and watched her. Roger said, this is too much. <laughs> There's too many things to take from. But uh, the lady that was waiting on us, she was very patient with us and kind. And the women just kept putting colors together and looking at them. And that's what they came up with. Yes, Arlen. Yes. Black is the border that goes around the outer edge. And it's a metallic, whatever that is. Okay. <laughs> and thing about that one, you can spill anything on it and it doesn't discolor it. Uh, the gentleman, there's a 30-year warranty on the flooring, but he's pretty confident that that flooring will be there when they were ready to tear this building down. Um, he said, unless you drop a, a, one of those heavy weights on it or something, uh, that floor is a great floor to what we're understanding at this time. And Roscoe is the one who really helped because first time we went up to look at it and the guy gave us an approximate price, the answer was no. But Roscoe was watching something on TV and the commercial came on where there was a discount that they were discounting their floor for the winter months. And Roscoe called me and we got busy again and made the call and we were able to meet with the man, Roger and I, and he, he got within a ballpark that we thought we could handle. The floor we had down, if we would have replaced that same floor, we would have been close to 42,000. And with this one being on sale and so forth, we're right around, we're close to 30,000, 39,500 and some odd dollars for the new flooring. And, and we're just about there. So just be praying and asking the Lord what he would have you do to help. Uh, we can't all give the same thing, but we all can make a sacrifice in our giving. Amen? All right. Back to the message. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. The purpose of his coming. And oftentimes we don't focus on that. Because we're more focused on the Christmas tree, the presents, and the holidays. We're busy doing everything else, but really giving thought to why did Jesus come? Why did he really come? And yes, he came to save us. And that's what most people will tell you. Yes, he came to save us. But much more. Much more. And that's a, a little bit of what I hope to unwrap for us today. That we can understand that, yes, he came. And his coming was for the purpose of being faithful to his word. His coming fulfills his faithfulness to his word. To his word. When somebody tells you they're going to do something and they don't do it, how much stock do you put into them? And God had made some promises about a Messiah coming. And the only one who could fulfill his word was he himself. That's one of the things that gives us the confidence of trusting God is that he fulfilled his own word. He kept his word. Nobody forced him. Nobody made him. But in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Jesus came. 
Now, go with me to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, because he tells us the method in which he's going to come or how he's going to come. And he's the only one who could fulfill this. Now, he speaks about this virgin. And he says, therefore, in verse 14, in chapter 7 of Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself, now I want you to underline or, or take note of the Lord himself, not somebody else. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin. Well, that's an impossibility. That's one of the arguments that Islam will even bring up to Christians. That's an impossibility for a virgin to have a child without intercourse or relationship with a man. It's an impossibility. Well, a mighty God can do that. Man. And he says, a virgin. So he makes it very clear that it's going to be a virgin so that there can be no mistake of who this Messiah is going to be and the method in which he's going to come. Very clear. All the other false messiahs were born of a woman <laughs> through a man. But this one is very clear. It will be a young girl, a virgin. And he goes on, he says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. Now, I remember when I was a youngster, you used to hear those older mothers around the church, they would say, which one was it? If it sits up high, it's a boy. If it sits low, it's a girl. And really didn't know what they were talking about, but just through experience some kind of way, they, have, they could see a young lady pregnant or a mother pregnant, and uh, they could say, well, most likely it's going to be a boy because it's sitting high. But it was, if it was low, it was going to be a girl. Now, they weren't always right. But here, with no x-ray machine or no type of machine, God says, a son will be born. A son will be born. And then he gives the name. And in this text, he doesn't give the name Jesus, because he gives that to Joseph, because that's the earthly name. He says, you will call him Emmanuel. Now, the meaning of Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Another thing that the Islam and other groups will argue is that Jesus Christ was a great prophet, but he was not God. But yet, just in the name itself, says he is God. God with us. Not God with us through Jesus Christ, but God with us, Jesus Christ, God being with us. Understand the difference there. He says you will call him Emmanuel. God with us. The purpose of his coming was to come and tabernacle and dwell with his creation himself. Not somebody else, but God himself. Remember what he said to Philip? Philip kept asking, well, show us the Father, show us the Father. He said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then he, in Matthew 1, 22, 
Run over there with me real quick. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. He's going to explain to us there a little bit more in detail about that name. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. What did he say? A virgin will give forth a child, a son. He says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, remember also in this context who he's talking to. He's talking to Joseph. The angel is talking to Joseph. Why? Because Joseph was planning to put Mary away, what? Privately. Or to divorce her. Not to fulfill the contract of marrying her. Because she was with child. Could you imagine? Somebody being with child who's a virgin. And someone looking to marry her. But now because she's pregnant, what would you suspect his thoughts might be? Unless it could be proven in some way that this was done in order to fulfill the scripture said. Now, remember, Joseph didn't have Bibles like we did, like we do today. But I can imagine the angel sitting also with Joseph and saying, Joseph, if you would go back and read the book of Isaiah, you would understand what's taking place here. Because it's already written what would take place. And after the angel spoke with Joseph, Joseph was willing to go ahead and take Mary as his wife. But it had to be clarified for him. But if it would not have been previously written, if it wasn't something that he could go back and see, I'm going to use Charles and Joanna for a moment. Charles, what would you think if Joanna come up pregnant now? She in trouble. She in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but if I could take you back in scripture and show you where this young lady at a certain age, even past childbearing years, would become pregnant. And it would be at this time, basically. And it was already written what was going to happen to her. Could you accept it? Put your shaky head. <laughs> and the angel was able to show some proof, I believe, to Joseph of what was going to take place with this virgin young girl who he had been promised now to marry. And even with the name, Emmanuel, that is very clear because it comes right back up here that you shall call him Emmanuel. But it also tells us this. The reason for this was that scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. Remember? If a man can't keep his word, he's not worth a dime. And if God couldn't keep his word, he wouldn't be worth trusting. But he keeps his word. And the purpose of his coming was to fulfill his word because no one else could do it. 
Go over to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. He's the one that has to keep his word. Nobody else can do it. Luke 24. Pick up with me in verse 44 and 45. He says, He said to them, talking to his disciples, This is what I have told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now he, 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 he gives out three evidence that was written about him. Starting first with Moses, then with the prophets, and on with the law. That he has it there. That is, written, that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He gives us those three evidence that you can go and you can read about what he had promised would come. But the only one who could fulfill that is God himself. Man cannot fulfill what was stated. Only God himself could come and fulfill what the scripture beforehand said about him. And somebody might still question. The problem in questioning this is the different time periods in which these books were written and authors that wrote them or the people who wrote them. The only way they could stay in sync if there was God somehow inspiring them to write this, that they would stay in sync with one another and connect with one another. Because it's that different time period in which these books were written. But yet, speaking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the only one who can fulfill that would be God himself. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 17 and 18. I want you to look what he says. Yet before we go back to Isaiah... Chapter 9. In, in Isaiah chapter 9, he gives us his character and his authority. So he has these different titles. But these different titles, we ought to be able to see him carrying out the authority within Scripture of what these titles or his character should be. So when we look at verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Most of the law, or quite a bit of the law, was symbolic, pointing to who? Jesus. Many of the holidays that the Jews, their festival days, was pointing to who? Jesus. And he said, I didn't come to abolish, but I come to fulfill what was being promised, even in the law, to the people. The law was a symbol of what was coming. And I come to fulfill that. The lamb that they sacrificed and shed their blood, the lamb that they would put their hand on and confess their sin. And then we hear John the Baptist saying, the lamb of God. 
pointing to Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. A symbolicness of what was taking place in the Old Testament now fulfilled in the New Testament. And you don't have to come to church with a lamb or pigeons. You don't have to be shedding blood because what was a symbol in the Old Testament is now fulfilled in the New Testament. And he goes on. And he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Then he says this in 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, he used the comparison of heaven and earth will not disappear. Now, hang with me here for a moment because here is this mighty God in Isaiah 9 making a statement. Heaven and earth will not disappear. It can disappear, but what can't disappear? My word. I want you to connect something. If his word could disappear, what else could disappear? Because heaven and earth is only there by his what? By his word. By his word. I've said this before, I'll say it again to you. God didn't need no heaven. And before heaven ever existed, there was God. God didn't need no earth. And before earth was ever formed or existed, there was God. But what holds heaven and earth together is that they were spoken into being by this mighty God. You have to see that. Because that's one of his types. Mighty God. And only a mighty God could perform such deeds and acts. And he says, Lord, Heaven and earth may pass away before one thing of my word will pass away. Because it's my word that holds it all together. Now, go to Isaiah 9 with me as we move into this next step. But I want you to catch it because it's important to really see these titles that are given to him. And he says, for us a child is born, there's the virgin, and the government will be on his shoulder, we're going to come back to. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everlasting Father. The only reason it can be stated there will be no end to it is because of what one of his titles says about him. It's, he's what? Everlasting. Something can't last forever if it is not sustained by that individual who is everlasting. Now you have some things around your house that you keep and you sustain them and you hold on to them. But the moment you die, two days later, they're going to be in your house throwing stuff out that you're trying to hold on to. Because you're not everlasting. At least not here. And stuff that you have treasured and things that you've said, they're going to be throwing it out. But with God, it's everlasting. And his government is everlasting. There's peace in his government. There's peace where he reigns. 
He reigns in me. And because he lives and reigns and governs in here, there is peace here and here. Because he is the prince of peace. He is the mighty God. Because in order to do what the scripture says that he does and fulfills, no one lesser than a mighty God could perform such deeds. Wonderful counselor. His word. His word. Every time you open up the word of God and study it and reading it, God is counseling you. God is speaking to you. God is guiding you through your troubles. God is helping you to see that, yes, I can overcome this. Yes, I can go through this. Yes, I can have victory in this. He's a wonderful counselor that's cheering you on and guiding and ordering your steps that you might be all that he desires you to be. And here's the scripture. It reveals his character and his authority that this child will have in order to rule his government, to rule his people, those who have chosen to believe in him. Now, the purpose of his coming again is to speak to his people. To speak to his people. That's one of the biggest debates that goes on. Does God still speak? If he spoke once, he can speak again. And I'm one who says, yes, he still speaks. In this audible voice like we're having here? No. But in here, that voice rings loud and clear at times. And you have to learn how to distinguish his voice from the other voices that you hear. Now, you may say, I don't hear no voices. Yes, you do. You may not want to admit it because people would think you're crazy or something's going wrong. But when you're talking to yourself, who are you talking to? You're talking to a thought that somehow popped into your head. (laughs) You're talking about something that did not originate, maybe, with you. And you're trying to figure out sometime, will this work? Well, where did that idea come from? And you're asking yourself, will it work? Can I trust it? Can I do it this way? God still speaks to us. The most simplest way I can answer that for all of us sometimes. Have you ever lost something? Didn't ask God to just show you where it's at. (laughs) And he tell you, go look behind the couch. Go look on the dresser. Go look over here, over there. Elaine and I run around the house looking for my wallet because I had misplaced my wallet because I try to have a habit where I put everything in one place and I have a place for everything. But if I don't put it in that place and I go there and look for it, it's not there. Then it's somewhere else, but I forgot where I put it. And there my wallet was laying on the bed. I mean, we tearing the house up. And the wallet's laying right on the bed and something just said, go look on the bed. And there was the wallet. Have you ever thought that why you slowed up for something and you weren't quite aware of what you were slowing up for? That God had you slow up? See, God speaks to us. Sometimes we're scared to acknowledge that God has spoken to us. Because it sounds odd and weird and funny. Or you have become a fanatic. Or you done went overboard to say that God has spoken to you. A lot of us are in situations in life that we know that is wrong and it keeps coming back to us. But we're we're scared to say, 
well, this is wrong because now I have to agree with God that it is wrong. And if I agree with God, I got to tell somebody else. And that person is going to be asking me, well, who told you that? Which one of your friends trying to separate us? Which one of us? No, God is speaking. I just have to acknowledge. And those names are his characteristics and his authority to act in our life. Now, go to John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 5, and verse 24. Now, this was not just for this time period. I believe it's also for us. He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words, and that for whoever, goes from generation to generation to generation. It's not just one generation, just their generation. Or we could discount what was being said. But this is true also for our present generation. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. And that's why salvation, eternal life, has gone down through the ages because we are still acknowledging what? His word, not some man's word. His word. And it's his word that is still true today, as true as it was at that moment in which he spoke it, that if we will hear his word and believe on the one who also sent him, we would have eternal life. That is still true today. But you have to be willing to be a hearer in order to believe. Now, a lot of people believe just because we say we're a Christian nation. Just because you live in a Christian nation does not make you a Christian, though the rest of the world, many of them believe everybody in America is a Christian. That's not true. That is a lie from the pits of hell. America really is not a Christian nation. It has Christians within the nation, but the nation itself is not a Christian nation. And he says, if you hear my words, and I like that word, my words, because he owns them. They're his words. They're not the words of the prophet. They're not the words of the priest. They are his words. That if we hear his words and believe him who condemns, I'm sorry, I tell you the truth, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to what? Death. If I accept his word. Now he, he goes on in Matthew seven twenty four, and he's going to talk about this flood that comes up. But I want you to hear what takes place in Matthew 7, 24, because again, it shows this mighty God. But it also shows this wise counselor. And what does this wise counselor do? He helps us to build a life that isn't tossed to and fro with every wind. He builds a life on a solid foundation that is well built so in 724 he says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, and again he says my words, and puts them into what? Now, he really brings us to a point that we have to make a decision. Because you can hear something and don't believe it. You can hear something and don't respond. 
if you hear something coming down the street blowing a horn, and you're out, you know you need to what? But you heard it and you're responding. But if you don't respond, something might happen to you that you would have wished maybe you would have responded because you heard it. And he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice, you have to practice God's word to know if it's true or not. Now, when you start practicing God's word, something else happens. You put this mighty God to work on your behalf because he's not going to be a liar and he's not going to fail you or be unfaithful to you. You may not be able to figure it out, but he says, put his word into what? Practice. When you put his word into practice, he already knows you don't have the ability to bring it to pass. But he does. And that's that mighty God that works then on your behalf when you trust his word and you step out in faith and believe him. Isn't that right, Roger? Roger was saying on Monday, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> now, we didn't get much done on Monday. <laughs> and we didn't see how we was going to be done. And he was just amazed. And Roger, I'm just amazed we're done in three days. We're done. He already pinpointed a date. December 22, we might get done with this. But God strengthened us. God gave us wisdom and knowledge how to do it, how to even go get the right tools to do it with. And there was times, yes, we would take breaks, but God would strengthen our bodies between the breaks and we go back at it. And he simply says, you have to practice in faith Believing what he says. Then he says, now, it's like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. This is who we're like. When you practice God's word, you're like a wise person building his house. And it takes time to build a house. You don't build a house in a day or in a week. It takes some time to build. And let me share something with you. It takes God's time to rebuild our lives from brokenness. He's not in a hurry because he knows you couldn't stand if he did it. So he rebuilds little by little by little by little, but he knows the end result that he's after. Because in building something that's already built, you got to tear down, Replace, tear down, replace, tear down. How many have ever remodeled a house? You got to remove the old before you can do what? Put the new in. He has to remove the old thoughts, the old fears, the old emotions before he begins to put the new really in. And again, he says here, it's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And the word tells us there's no other foundation that man can lay than that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the sure foundation that we build on. And you're building your Christian life. You're building your new life. You're building a different life on the word of God, and God will not fail you. It's a sure foundation. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, now, catch that. Because there's a lot of people saying they're Christians, but they don't put God's word into what? Into practice. Now, take a good look at the person who puts God's word into practice and the person who doesn't put God's word into practice and see the difference in that life. 
there's a huge difference in that life and the one who practices, who believes, who is faithful to God's word, to that one who says, yeah, I've heard it, I know about it, but then don't do it. And that's why James says, don't be a hearer of the word, but be a what? A doer of the word. Because you can see the difference in those lives. And he goes on, let's drop down for time's sake. Come on down into verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had what? Authority. And not as their teachers of the law. They were able to see a difference between one who had truth and one who was just teaching their own traditional values. One of the things that Christians have to determine today, who is the teacher the teacher of God's word, and the one who tickles the ear. The one who is saying something, but is not really concrete. It's not a foundation you can build on. You have to determine that. You have to discern that. What you are hearing, is it from the word of God, or are you just getting a little bedtime story? Go to Mark 1.22. Well, let's not go there, but you can put that one down for time's sake. In Hebrews 1, let's, let's run to he, Hebrews chapter 1 because he's going to tell us again his purpose of coming. And in recognizing that purpose, it's him speaking to us. He says in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1, in past, God spoke to our forefathers to who? The prophets. God had a messenger. Take this message to my people. And the prophet would take it and say, this is what the Lord has said. And if it comes to pass, then God said it. Stay with me here now. Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son who was appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. In these last days he speaks to us by who? By Jesus Christ, his son. Not by a prophet. Not by the pastor per se. When you get into this book it's you and God is you and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the real teacher, not the pastor, not the elder, not the Sunday school teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. And when you get into this book, it's you and God tugging with each other. And when you really want to know truth, he will pause you and give you deep thoughts over that area or that subject or that thing that you're wrestling with. And you'll be surprised what happens. Closing, his purpose for coming is to grow us. You have to understand that. Paul, in many of his writings, have to deal with people breaking away from the law. The law was only a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. But the law was never intended to save us. So Galatians 3, picking up in verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Going back to Genesis 3.15, that Jesus would come. The law was there or instituted because of transgressions. Why? Man didn't know he was wrong. The law says, you're wrong, here's the penalty. For the wages of sin is death. What would happen to our population if everybody living in adultery was stoned today? What would happen to our population? 
if we would take and apply some of the laws in the Old Testament, what would happen to our population? And he says, the law was added because of transgression. In other words, to educate you that you were wrong, you were sin. But there was no law saying beforehand that this was sin. But when the law came, it would have been very clear, this is sin. This is wrong. Even to speak wrongly of your neighbor was a sin. It's wrong. You would not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the law. That was wrong. For before, we didn't know it was wrong. And he says, the law was only there until the seed to whom the promise referred had come, which was Jesus Christ. He come to fulfill that. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, there's not one law that could give life. And Jesus gives life. Then righteousness would have certainly have come by the law. But the law couldn't give life. It could only give death. But the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. And through him and him alone does it come. When you look at the others, in Hebrews 9, 26 to 28, he comes, why? For the second coming. You could not have second coming without having what? First coming. And then he comes to destroy the work of the devil. And then he comes with this purpose. That which he saves, and that which practice, that person who practice, his word, John 5.18, makes you a promise. If you practice my word, why? The moment you set out to practice God's word, Satan is going to attack you with full force. He says, I will keep you safe. He didn't say he'll stop the attack. He says, I will keep you safe. For those who practice his word, believe his word, he says, I will keep you safe. That's a promise that he makes to us there. Because we're doing what he would have us to do. He came to fulfill what we could not do on our own. He came to keep his word to us. Even in the area of keeping us safe when we practice his word. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you will continue to reveal to us your purpose in coming. For it's more than just being recognized as a baby in a manger. It goes much further, much deeper. And help us as your people to understand that you've come to give us life 